The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. Today, I will be talking with Dr. Ann Fischel, who is the author of a new book, Home for Dinner, Mixing Food, Fun, and Conversation for a Happier Family and Healthier Kids. She bases her experiences, she bases the book on her experiences as a working mom, as a family therapist, and as an activist who's been working on a very interesting project. Tell us a little more. Welcome to the show, Anne. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad you're here. Tell us a little more about what got you started thinking about writing about this. Uh, Yes, well, I think whenever you're really passionate about something, it comes from many different sources, and I'd say it it began when my second son was born and my husband gave up smoking, and I thought, what can I do to give him something that he'll be able to look forward to, my husband, now that he can't smoke, but that will be a, you know, something good to taste, and I thought I could really throw myself into family dinners, so I started to do that, and in doing so, my little boys um, really enjoyed hanging out in the kitchen with me, making little potions themselves, or stirring the soup, and as time went on, I realized I'd stumbled upon this great thing, which was that I got to hang out with them um, while getting something done, and if they helped me with the cooking, it also meant that they were sort of stakeholders in the meal, and they were willing to eat pretty much anything that they had helped with. So that was kind of how I got first interested in it personally. And then professionally, it kind of came together for me one night when I was seeing a family in my home office, which sits right below the kitchen in my house, and I had popped a a chicken in the oven, and I had gone downstairs to see the family. And after about a half an hour, we all started to smell the garlic and the lemon of the chicken. And the teenage boy, who really hadn't said a word up till then, said to me, could we stay for dinner? And I was embarrassed because it was kind of an intrusion of family life into my practice and didn't seem all that professional to me. But I had this flash of insight that, my goodness, this family would be so much better off going home and having dinner together than being in family therapy. And I I resisted the urge to thrust a cookbook at them and say, you know, go home. Um, Don't waste your time in here. And I'm being a little 
melodramatic about it, but actually the research on family dinners kind of backs up this instinct I had because it turns out there are almost a hundred studies that show that regular family dinners are great for the brain and the mental health um, and the and the body of family members. I mean, just to to tell a few ways that regular family dinners are are good. Um, the conversation that we have at the dinner table is a better vocabulary booster for young kids than even reading aloud to them. And teenagers who eat with their families regularly have lower rates of substance abuse and depression and anxiety and teenage pregnancy. Um, they feel closer to their parents. They feel less stress. You know, isn't this exactly what I was trying to do in family therapy? That's a wonderful insight. I love that. That uh, having dinner together could be as valuable for your family as family therapy in at least some cases. Yes, right, in some cases. But uh, in many cases, I think. Really, in many cases. Interesting. Well, you know, I think that um, family dinner and family therapy share um, a lot in common. Family therapy is, well, family dinners are really the the most reliable time that families have to gather together and fill each other in on what's going on in the day and what they're thinking about and how they're feeling, um, which is really, you know, what family therapy is about, too. I see. Um Let's talk just a little bit about the science, and then we'll get into sure. some details later about how do you make this happen if it's not already happening in your family. But just the science for a minute. How much of the research is um, convincing from a, gee, you really ought to do this perspective versus correlational, where you can't really sort out what's cause and effect. Maybe it's just that the families that are already happy are the ones who have dinner together. Yeah, that's a great question. The, uh, many of the studies, particularly the ones that have been done in the last 10 years, really control for that variable. So they pull out um, the kinds of things that you, you might think would kind of explain all these wonderful benefits. So they they pull out the variable of families that are organized enough to have dinner or the families that are close-knit enough. And even when you take out those variables, there's still an extra benefit that comes from the dinner dinners themselves. Now, if the dinners are filled with parents yelling at their kids or, you know, with everybody sitting in stony silence, those, it, those dinners are not going to confer these wonderful benefits. Um, so, you know, it's also important what the, the quality of the atmosphere is at the dinner table. And, you know, you might wonder, well, why? Why would dinner, you know, carry with it these benefits? And, um, and if you, you think about the nutritional benefits, those are, in a way, the easiest to understand um, because the family dinners are so much um, 
lower in calories than dinners we get at restaurants or fast food restaurants. They're more packed with fruits and vegetables. They just tend to be much healthier. And so it makes sense that kids who have regular family dinners are going to have lower obesity rates and are going to have fewer eating disorders. And that if you eat and while you're eating, you're engaged in conversation and you're not eating in kind of a mindless way, it sort of makes sense that you won't just eat until, you know, without paying attention to whether you're really full. Um, so, you know, that's one way we can understand the the health benefits of family dinner. And I think some of these psychological benefits that I was mentioning earlier come from um, the kind of connection that kids feel with their parents when they have a a regular ritual that they can count on when they know that they're going to have a chance to, to relax and to tell stories and to have a good time. And I think that when kids feel that kind of connection, um, that's like a, a seatbelt that uh, that kids have on the, the pothole road of, of childhood and adolescence. It's a kind of a protective feature. Um, and I think that kind of explains also why family dinners are, are so um, special. It's not like we have a ton of other opportunities during the day anymore for families to gather. You know, we don't garden, you know, farm together. We don't uh, make quilts on the porch anymore. Family dinners are really, for most families, the, the most reliable time of the day to connect. That makes a lot of sense. There used to be many more ways for members of a family to be spending time with each other and enriching each other's lives. And right. now, now our lives are structured so differently. Yes. So. Yeah, when, when ki- teenagers are asked, what's the number one time that you have the opportunity to talk to your parents? Family dinner is number one, and number two is the car which I, you know, I think is sort of a commentary on where a lot of families gather now. It's sort of rushing from one place to another. Yeah. I meant to ask about that, actually. We do tend to have a lot of families who have two parents with jobs and kids have scheduled activities with music lessons and sports teams and just other activities Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, whatever. Right. Which can make it really a challenge to get the whole family together very often. And I think you said the gold standard in science is five nights a week. But do you have any advice for families who have a hard time finding a way to get together for dinner on a frequent basis? Yes. I mean, you're absolutely right. The gold standard in research is five nights a week, but that's not the gold standard for for every family. I mean, I think um, a family that has one dinner a week that they look forward to and that is filled with meaning and conversation, that could be, you know, terrific and and enough. so, you know, I think it's important to kind of start with what is possible and, and work with that. That said, I think it's for some families, um, breakfast is easier than dinner. And while I've written a whole book on dinners, I think a lot of the ideas could apply to breakfast as well. Um, 
for some families, it might be Saturday brunch or, or Sunday breakfast. So, you know, I think finding the, the possibilities in your own calendar and making those, uh, making a commitment to those is what's important. Another idea that I've suggested to families who have uh, particularly very busy teenagers and busy parents is to make the ritual around a a snack maybe at 9 o'clock where everybody takes a break from work and has hot chocolate and fruit and cheese and they spend a half an hour together then. So, you know, I think if a family is creative and kind of lets go of perfection, um, there are lots of ways to to skin a cat. I like those ideas. Seems like a lot more families could fit this into their lives that way. Yes. How you important? Know, I think there's some families who practice more of kind of a cultural resistance where they they push back on some of the, the busyness of 21st century life and they they limit the, the number of activities that or the number of activities that take place during dinner hour you know i think that's another way that families make time for dinner i see how important is it to have a home cooked meal rather than getting fast food I guess you mentioned nutritional benefits, but right. what if you're worried about the time factor or you don't know how to cook? Where, how do you help those families get started? Yes, well, I, I have a confession, which is that when I was a working mother with two young boys, my favorite dinner of the week was Friday night when I would take a nap at the end of the day, and while I was napping, my husband and my sons would go get takeout and I would wake up and there would be, you know, a greasy, not very healthy meal, but it was such a, such a lovely break because um, it, it, it can get tedious making dinner night after night. Um, but in terms of, yes, the, the nutritional um, aspects of a home cooked meal are, are hard to argue with. Uh, yeah, and I think hard. there's also much more symbolism and meaning to the foods that you make at home that get repeated and have stories attached to them. Um, and that tends not to happen so much with meals that we get at, at for takeout. Um, I know and in terms of uh, learning uh, to cook, you know, I think you could you could hate to cook and still love family dinners. Um, by maybe making breakfast for dinner or making lunch for dinner or uh, getting your teaching your kids how to cook so they help out. Um, but I think, you know, fortunately there are a lot of resources now available to learn how to cook, which I think was a kind of fading art. Um, but you can, you know, look at uh, cooking videos, Cooking shows often give a lot of tips for how to chop vegetables and how to make quick meals. Um, so, you know, I think there, there are a lot of ways to, uh, a lot of workarounds if you didn't grow up um, 
at your mother or your father's knee learning how to cook. I see. Um, I'm looking again at the title of your book, Home for Dinner, Mixing Food, Fun, and Conversation for a Happier Family and Healthier Kids. So that mixing food and fun and conversation, how, how do you help a family get started on that if it's not already in their repertoire? Well, at the Family Dinner Project, um, which is a, a project that I co-founded, it's a, a nonprofit that champions the benefits of family dinners um, and tries to bring healthy food and fun and conversation about things that matter to lots of families. Um, we talk about four steps. One is to make the commitment to you know, say to your family, this is something that's important because I want to, you know, we, we want to stay in touch with each other. We want to have a time every day that we get to laugh together and check in with each other. So we're going to make a commitment. And that's going to vary from family to family. It might be, as I said, once a week, or it might be every night of the week, or some breakfast and some dinner. So that's the first thing. Um, And that commitment might also mean uh, agreeing to turn off the TV and to turn off phones and other gadgets so that you can really focus on each other. And then we say make it simple. You know, figure out... Some recipes, there are about 40 in my book that have to take less than 30 minutes and that are fewer than eight ingredients and get some buy-in from the other members of your family that they'll try the meals that you propose. So, um, you know, talk to your family about what ingredients they will all agree to and um, so, you know, make plan ahead with some, some meals and um, maybe make a couple of extra batches of food so that you don't have to cook every night. You've got some meals in the freezer. So those are some ideas about making it simple. And then make it fun because it's, you know, the food brings the family to the table, but it's the fun and the conversation that really keeps them there. So when I think about fun, I think about um, the way that food, with its color and its texture and smell and taste, is one of the few areas left in, in our very virtual world where we actually get to use our senses and make something together. Um, and so playing with our food um, is is one way to to make it fun, and maybe I'll give a couple of examples of that. Yeah, we'll we'll probably come back to examples okay. of playing with food after the break. Okay. I think you said four things, and you've mentioned three: commitment right. and so, making it so, simple, and, the, and making, so it, making fun. it fun. Is also playing some games at the table, um, okay. which can really keep younger kids interested longer and can get them talking more. Um, I'll just mention one game that... Let's, um, let's save that for after the break. Okay, talk- fine. So okay. the fourth thing we'll be- is to make it matter. And that's the things that 
Um, you talk about that uh, help clarify what's important to you as a family. That includes telling stories about grandparents and how we emigrated from another country or a romance in the family or a story about a favorite recipe or a story about a food we're eating at the table. You know, these would, that would be a whole cluster of conversations that matter. Okay, let's hold that thought. We're going to go to break now. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively, in a private, confidential setting, we help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Colin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and our guest today is Dr. Ann Fischel, 
who is a clinical professor of psychology at the Harvard Medical School and director of the Family and Couples Therapy Program at Massachusetts General Hospital, where she has won teaching prizes from her psychiatry psychiatry residents and psychology interns. She's also co-founder of the Family Dinner Project, which is a nonprofit group that works online and in person to help communities of families get started with family dinners. Before break, we were starting to talk about how you make dinner fun. How, how do you turn this into something that your kids look forward to participating in? And we have kids of many different ages who come to family dinner. So tell us about playing with food and other things that you can do so that dinner is a really enjoyable time. So, yes, we were, we were talking about food as being one of the few arenas left where we can actually use our senses and our hands um, since we spend so much time on computers. And, you know, while playing with video games can be a lot of fun, I would argue that um, messing around in the kitchen is one of the great, great joys so, you know, I think about, um, well, all kinds of things. I think about playing with color uh, and uh, collage, really, where I might put out a whole bunch of ingredients and for a salad and then ask everybody in my family or at a community dinner to take what they want and to make a picture with the salad ingredients, to make a face or a tree or a car, and, you know, the only rule is that you have to eat what you take. Um, Or I might play with smell, and I used to, with my kids, we'd blindfold each other and uh, see if we could guess the different smells, cinnamon or toothpaste or something like that. Or I might slip in a a secret ingredient, little fish oil or some cayenne pepper and see if the people at dinner could guess what the secret ingredient was. Um, So these are all different ways that uh, one can play with food or you could make uh, dumplings and make them into all kinds of funny little shapes, purses and letters of the alphabet. Um, So that would be a way of playing with shape. So that's an idea of actually playing with the food, and then there are ways to play at the table that aren't so messy, that are uh, about playing games at the table, and really verbal games, because it's probably don't want to bring board games to the table, and um, that's a little too distracting. Yeah, but you could end up with some very that, sticky pieces. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But they're, they're games that um, not only are fun, but that help your kids uh, talk about what happened in, during the day. So one of my favorite games is to ask each person at the table to tell two truths and a lie about something that happened during the day. And then everyone has to guess which is the lie. But in the playing of it, of course, everybody is 
telling two stories that really did happen. Um, so that's that's one idea. Or another game um, that I think is really interesting is a is a variant on the on twenty questions, where each person thinks of a family memory, and then everyone else asks yes no questions to try to figure out what memory that person is is remembering you know did it happen on a vacation uh somebody laughing um was there food involved uh was there spilled milk involved and you know at the same time that you're playing a game you're also finding out how are your kids remembering experiences that you've had as a family and kind of what's going into that album um, of, uh, of memories. So those would be um, two games. Or one that I've heard that the Obama family plays, uh, which is to ask a rose, a thorn, and a bud uh, that happened during the day. So a rose is something positive or funny, and a thorn is something maybe difficult or challenging, and a bud is something that you hope will happen tomorrow. Ah, I like that. Yeah, so these are, you know, these are ways to get away from asking the same old tired question night after night, which I think kids get bored from, and and parents, I think, get bored asking, you know, day after day, how was your day today? And, what did you, you know, do you in school? One one syllable back. Right. Okay, um, I like your. I really like your idea of playing with food. Saying it is okay to play with food. Let's have fun together. Uh-huh. Uh, I think a couple of the examples you gave in your book had to do with actually handling dough, shaping it into balls, or helping to stir pots, things that even young children can get involved in helping with. Yes. Yeah, there's a, uh, a, a recipe my, my kids just loved when they were toddlers, which is uh, for, it's a pretzel dough recipe. And it makes a wonderful sticky dough, and kids can make letters of the alphabet and animals and shapes that have no names. And it's very quick. It, it bakes very quickly so that there's not too much waiting. Um, and then you have, you know, delicious hot pretzels, uh, like the ones I used to get when I was a, a kid in, in New York at uh, you know, those push carts. Mm-hmm. Those are good pretzels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might be fast food, but they're good pretzels. <laughs> yeah, well, fast food, if it's, if it's quick food made at home, is, is different, I think. Yes, yeah. Um, any suggestions for uh, working with teenagers to get them more involved in family dinners? Because I know toddlers and teenagers are a couple of the most difficult groups. Yes. Well, I think that, that teenagers sometimes get a little bit of a bum rap. Um, when, when teenagers are asked, what are some of your favorite activities? Family dinner makes the cut. Wow. You know, so, you know, I think it's part, partly a, an expectations game that if we expect that our kids aren't going to want to have dinner with us once they turn 13, 
then it can become sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I think kids, just like adults, really long for time to connect with the people they love. And, you know, generally they do still love their parents. So, you know, I think it's important to to change the dinner up so that it um, can accommodate the changing develop- developmental needs of teenagers. I know my when my kids became teenagers, they really wanted to have red meat, which I had never made. And it, at first I was kind of resistant to that because I don't eat red meat, I don't cook it, but they wanted to cook it. And I remembered that when I was their age, I had become a vegetarian and I had kind of forced my mother to make room for me in the kitchen to cook new foods. And so I think, you know, that the the transition to adolescence can be an opportunity to kind of rework some of the, the roles uh, between parents and kids and kind of make room for some of the push and pull. Um, and then, you know, Inviting kids to play their music at dinner can be a way to um, bring them in um, and they can explain and describe what they like about the music and and that can be a whole interesting way of finding out more what what your kids are thinking about and and into. Um, So, you know, I think... Uh, those are some of the ways or, you know, offering to make, uh, make a meal that corresponds to something that they're, a country that they're studying, um, or, um, inviting, asking your kids to invite some of their friends over for, to make Sundays or to make, um, Make make your own tacos or something like that, so that the dinner kind of expands a little bit, just as your kids are expanding their world. I see. That sounds like good ideas. Well, thanks. Yeah, I I want to throw something in here. Uh, sure. Just I remarried uh, when my. I had two kids coming into the marriage and my husband had two kids coming into the marriage. So when we married, we had kids going into grades five, six, seven, and eight. Wow. And family dinner was one of the only times when we could get everybody together. And Mm. everybody needed to eat. So even if they didn't like each other that particular day or most of the time, they were willing to come to the dinner table. Uh-huh. And it it helped us to have a degree of cohesiveness as a step family that we might not have found in any other way. Mm. And involving the kids in making decisions about the food was really helpful. We we talked it through on more than one occasion and came up with a list of menus that would be okay to have as our dinner and everybody would be willing to eat it. And wow. sometimes it was pasta, but sometimes it was salad where we'd essentially do a salad bar at the dinner table and everybody would make their own the way they wanted it. <laughs> I, I think that's such a great story. You know, I think it's it's a great um, example of how 
dinner can be a place to kind of work out some developmental transitions or some changes in a family structure. Because basically what you were doing is saying, okay, we've got these two different family cultures, two different traditions, and we've got to figure out a way to all eat together. So Mm -hmm. let's make something that we can all agree on, which is a salad, but there's going to be room for each person to customize it and make it in their individual way. So, I mean, you're really saying in a symbolic way, we're going to come together in a new, as a new family, but there's still going to be room for um, all the different personalities and characters in this family. Yeah, that's how it was for us. And, and you've got stories of other families having other kinds of experiences with the same effect in your book. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I guess I, I gave the example in my own family about making the transition to adolescence, but um, I think of a, a couple I saw who had, I think, three or four kids who had left for college, and they were kind of staring at each other um, without much to say to one another, and the, the husband felt that, he said, if you like Tupperware with... Uh, day-old food, you'll love dinner at my house. And, you know, his wife was very insulted and said, you know, no, I make a fresh dinner for you every night. But it was a a very empty and painful dinner as they sat looking at each other without their lively kids to engage them. And they didn't really feel appreciated or known and they felt very um, kind of estranged from one another. And so trying to bridge that, that emptiness with um, some new ideas about how they could have an empty nest dinner that didn't feel quite so hollow was a, you know, sort of a, a starting point in family therapy. Do you remember any of the details of what helped that couple to reconnect without having the kids to pull them together? Yes. I I remember um, that they agreed to say some, at least one thing during dinner that they appreciated about one another because they didn't feel at all um, seen or really liked by the other one. So they did that and it was a little contrived and self-conscious at first, but it, it it got better. Um, and then I also suggested that they consciously talk about what they missed about the kids because that was sitting like a big lump in their throat that they didn't speak about. And I thought if they spent a little time, you know, kind of naming the elephant in the room, that might help. And then also, and I think this was just as important, to say what they might be able to get away with now that their kids weren't there. Um, oh, I like Maybe that there were one. some foods that they could never eat because one of their kids was, you know, so finicky. Or maybe they would start eating uh, at 9 o'clock because 
their kids had insisted they eat at 6 o'clock. So I kind of asked them to talk about what they might dare do differently. And I think all of those things helped. All right. We're going to go to break now. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Family Dinner Project, a community way of organizing families to have dinner together. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. My guest today is Dr. Ann Fischel, author of Home for Dinner, Mixing Food, Fun, and Conversation for a Happier Family and Healthier Kids. And she also earlier wrote the book, Treating the Adolescent in Family Therapy, a Developmental and Narrative Approach. So you can tell she's really got some experience with teenagers as well as experience with family dinners. And I'd like to ask you next to tell me a little bit, tell all of us a little bit about the Family Dinner Project. That's a nonprofit organization, right? Yes. How did it get started? What do you do? 
Tell me more. Okay. Well, we got started in 2010 um, when a woman named Shelley London, who had been a, a corporate vice president, left that world and came to Harvard to do a fellowship and got very interested in how to promote um, conversation about uh, moral dilemma and uh, ethical thinking. And she thought, well, family dinner is a place where families could have conversations about things that matter. And she gathered a group of us from all different walks of life. So I'm a family therapist. There was a chef. There was somebody from design, somebody from conflict resolution. Um, And what we had in common was a belief in the, the power of family dinner. So we got working together and started to put together some online resources that would help families have more family dinners and uh, better family dinners, family dinners with healthier food and with more fun and with conversation about things that matter. And we got a lot of our ideas from meeting with many, many families and finding out their best practices, and we would fold those into the resources that we offered online. And then um, we also would gather, we would get invited to uh, into schools or community clinics or um, the YMCA, um, Blue Star Military Group has invited us, and we come to these organizations and we gather families together who want to uh, improve their family dinners and be inspired and learn from each other. And so we might have 20 to 50 people and we create a fabulous family dinner all together. So we, we cook together, we eat together, we play games we have interesting conversation, and then usually towards the end of the dinner, the kids go off and they make dessert with some of the team members, and the parents gather together in a circle, and we ask them what is getting in the way of your having family dinner, and we take up whatever is kind of the biggest challenge for that community, for that group of, of parents. And then the parents brainstorm with each other what solutions they've come up with, and they sort of share solutions they've come up with to common obstacles. And, you know, the obstacles are pretty much the same, whether we're in low-income or high-income communities um, and wherever in the country, they're pretty much the same. They're time, not enough of it, um, tension at the table, picky eaters, um, uh, the expense of food. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take one of those and, and the parents will come up with fabulous ideas and some of them, you know, will then fold into the online resources which are available for free and at our uh, thefamilydinnerproject.org. That's the website. Okay, good to know. Does this website have resources that would be useful to a family that's just looking for 
new ideas about how to do things within their own house, not necessarily yes. creating a community event? Yes, there are resources just for families. Um, there's a four-week program that a family could use. There's a free monthly newsletter um, that has all kinds of ideas each month for food, fun, and conversation. And then there um, are ideas for community organizers. There's going to be uh, a toolkit for teachers to use some of these ideas in the classroom. Um, so there are lots of ways. There are a lot of entry points. But, yes, it's, it's very much for individual families. Okay. And are there people from the Family Dinner Project who are available to go to a new community that wants to yes. do things as a group in the way you've described? Yes. We're often available to, to go to a community. Um, we've traveled all over the country uh, in the past few years, but we also um, sometimes offer trainings to people who want to do the, the organizing themselves, or we uh, offer phone consultations, and we have a toolkit that um, would help somebody figure out how to do it on their own, and, and we would support them and help them with that. Okay, sounds like a great resource. Yeah. It's As great. is your book. I did read the whole thing. It's a good book. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, I... I I hope it's um, it helps make family dinners more doable. You know, I hope it unlocks all these great benefits. Um, but you know, it's it's not a, always an easy thing to get a healthy dinner on the table night after night and to figure out what to talk about. And so, you know, I hope there there are ideas that are kind of like going into a pantry and grabbing something you need that might spice. Spice up a, a particular dinner. Okay. I know one of the threads that runs through the book to some extent is the importance of getting kids actively involved. For example, getting kids to talk as well as listen at the yes. dinner table. Could you share a couple of tips about how you do that, how you get the kids into the conversation? Sure. Well, some of the ideas are, are the, the games that I was mentioning, the, the rose and the thorn in the bud. That's a, a way to get conversation going. Um, another idea, and I, you know, I think some of the ideas I have come from being a family therapist and meeting with a lot of kids who really don't want to be there and don't want to talk. And so I've, um, I've had to be creative about how to get conversations going with very reluctant kids and teenagers. So one one thing that I will do is to tell a story about something that happened to me um, before I ask a child to tell something that happened to them that day. Um, sort of give something before I ask for something. Um, another kind of more fun idea is to write some questions on slips of paper and put them into a jar that you keep on the on the table that people can pull out and answer as they as they wish like you know what's 
your best personality trait? Or if you were an animal, what animal would you be? Or um, do you know the story of how your name was chosen? Or where is it you feel most relaxed? Or where is it you feel the silliest? So, you know, you might write down a hundred different questions and just keep them in a jar in the middle of the table um, that people can dip into uh, when they feel like having a, a different kind of conversation. Um, other ideas are, and I think this is a, a good tip for uh, conversation with adults too, is to keep kind of a map in your head of what your partner or your child's life what their day was like so that when you ask um, a question it's tied to something specific you know I know you had a big presentation today how did that go or I was thinking about you during your art class today I was wondering whether you were painting or using collage so, you know, showing that you really have been paying attention to what a child or an adult has told you, um, I think goes a long way to um, helping kids talk. Um, and then I think um, another whole area of conversation that we haven't talked about is the telling of, of family stories, um, which it turns out there's, there's research showing that kids who know their family stories grow up to be more resilient and to feel better about themselves and to have a better sense of the future. Um, And I think it's because family stories give kids the sense that they're part of something bigger than themselves and that there are a lot of different ways that their their lives could unfold. Um, And so, again, Family dinner is one of the main places we have to tell stories since we don't write letters anymore where we might tell stories. We don't sit around a campfire. Um, So telling stories about um, relatives who are here or not here, uh, silly stories. I wish my parents had told me more stories about my grandparents. Yes. That would have been fun. Yeah. We've got only a couple of minutes left, and I don't want to leave out mention of the chapter in your book where you talk about how the dinner table conversation can help kids to develop empathy and self-esteem and resilience. Could Uh you say something about that briefly? Um, Well, I think, you know, it's partly uh, through this... uh, Storytelling. I think it's also setting a tone where it's clear that everyone's going to get a chance to speak and that everybody's voice matters. I think um, that goes a long way to building empathy and um, interest in other people. And it's a way that um, kids learn how to deal with difference that they can take into the classroom or take wherever they go. Um, And then I think there are also ways to connect, uh, use food and and the dinner table to connect to other cultures and to social issues, which I think can also build 
empathy and compassion. I've, I've been thinking um, just in this last week a lot about Earth Day, which is coming right up, um, and the way that garbage um, can help kids think about much bigger issues. Um, so you, you, know, you might say to your kids, <laughs> did you know that 40% of the food that's produced in our country gets thrown out? Um, or that $2,000 a year of food for a family of four gets thrown out? Um, and that if we had a quarter less a quarter pound less of red meat each night, that would be the equivalent in methane gas emissions of taking six to eight million cars off the road. So I wonder what we could do as a family to waste less food and waste less money because it's a, it's a moral issue, it's an environmental issue. Yeah, um, that's certainly a way to get a meaningful conversation going. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we're almost done. Is there anything that you would like to repeat for emphasis or any last thought you'd like to share with the audience? Uh, I guess I just would say that um, since we all have to eat anyway, um, why not make the most of family dinners when it can be a time to make memories, to connect with one another, to promote physical health and mental health, um, and it really can be a fairly light lift if you're not too hard on yourself um, about demanding perfection or organic arugula or three-course meal. Got it. All right. Thanks very much, Dr. Ann Fischel. I can certainly recommend your book, Home for Dinner, to our audience. And I'll say goodbye for now. Okay. Thanks so much for having me, Virginia. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.